Good timing, amigo. How's he doing? He's playing. He's playing uh, Assassin's Creed. They're uh, they're taking turns. Yeah, they're taking turns on the video game, and it is it is just like it's like negotiating the Nagorno Korbak piece. Welcome back then to the Middlebrow Culture Warrior. We will begin again by providing a top three. I'm Danny Kelly Stallings. I'm going to give you the top three things that captured my attention this week. I'm here with my co-host, Pete Gamble. Hello. Who doesn't have a top three? I don't, but I have a good reason for it. We'll rally, we'll uh, push forward, and we'll we'll, uh, produce the show. So, number three in the list of things that have captured my attention in this last week is jigsaw puzzles. I have been doing a lot of jigsaw puzzles lately, and I read this book called The Molecule of More. It's all about dopamine. Do you know much about dopamine, Pete? I know it's a chemical in your brain that makes you feel good and is a key player in several addictions. That's all I know. Yeah, both of those things are true. So it makes you feel really good. And it's also something, it's a chemical. It's something where you want more and more and more dopamine hits. And you just want to like increase the amount of like activities that create dopamine in your brain. So one of the things that it suggests, this book goes wanders through a lot of kind of pluses and minuses of, of various aspects of dopamine, mostly minuses. And at the end, it's like, hey, let's all get level and like, what do 30 and 40 and 50 year old people do with their dopamine receptors in order to kind of give themselves a healthy, healthy doses of dopamine or happy levels of dopamine. And one of the things that it suggests is things like pottery. Have you ever done pottery or have you known people who do pottery? I took a class. I threw some pottery. Yeah, I I threw a little pottery in, uh, in high school. Okay, so, and a little bit in college. So pottery is a total phenomenon among like 35 to 47 year old women who just get <laughs> really into pottery and they just start making these pots. And the reason is because this book suggests that if you can engage in some activity where you're using your body or your hands in some way, there's some physical component to it. And yet you're also getting these like quick little dopamine hits where, for example, you know, you create something, you create a pot, you create a bowl, you create whatever. And um, as a result, you get this kind of like satisfaction, this quick little hit of satisfaction that comes to you. That's one of the more sustainable ways to kind of leverage your dopamine circuits All right. into a sustainable and kind of better future. And I just don't think throwing a bowl is going to make me feel that happy. Me neither. But you know what does make me happy? Huh. It fits into that same category is jigsaw puzzles. Let- Jigsaw puzzles, huh? Because so it, what's the what's the piece size of jigsaw puzzle you're doing? How many pieces? A thousand pieces is kind of the, right. the yeah. A thousand pieces right. is about right. We've got one right now that's 1,500 and it's kind of a bitch to be honest. But jigsaw puzzles have this these tiny little pieces and you're putting them together. And every time you connect one, you get a little dopamine hit. And you're, yeah. do, you're doing things with your hands. You're using your hands and you're using your brain. And so it's this kind of like holistic sense of combining different aspects of who you are in order to do an activity that gives you immediate and long-term satisfaction. I like it. I don't, I don't know if I would pick, I find jigsaw puzzles like overwhelmingly frustrating. Like you start there and you're just like, well, 
I'm just going to have to grind around and build a bunch of piles first. Okay, now I got it. Like, I don't get that out of, but I think I could do that with something like um, woodworking. But but I, I get the idea of like doing something with your hands that's going to produce that feeling. Like the jigsaw puzzle. I like that. I don't know. Maybe I should do more jigsaw puzzles. I, my kids have a bunch of them and I never do them. How many pieces are you talking about? Quite a few. Like 250, 500, something like that. I think a jigsaw puzzle's relaxing i don't know if i translate that into happy like i don't i don't know if i look forward to doing a jigsaw puzzle so much as it's like i don't know i guess that is happy but but the idea here is that you're rationing out your dopamine anyway i'm not i'm not going to have a great time like this this is not how i'm going to tear it off tonight this you're saying that these are these little little small ways to kind of increase your dopamine when you're that's it you're doing little that's it yeah and the reason i know it's dopamine is because it becomes incredibly addicting and I, I'm sitting there, if I'm having success with a jigsaw puzzle and I'm putting pieces together and I'm making progress, I can't stop doing it. And my wife can't either. And we say, let's go to bed in five minutes. And then like an hour and a half goes by and we're still working on the jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think if I do anything like that or what I would do like that. Actually, you know what makes me feel that way? Doing dishes. Doing dishes while listening to an audiobook. Yeah. I like doing dishes because nobody hassles me when I'm doing it. I can put in my headphones and listen to a book. Actually, I'm, I'm more into listening to lectures these days. I've got a great lecture series I'm into. It's just amazing. But yeah, I like that idea of like cleaning it up and like you take it from this thing and it make it look better and it just takes some time and stuff and it kind of comes together. It feels good. I completely get that. And I get the same feeling from, from doing dishes, particularly if I'm doing dishes while listening to an audiobook. Yeah, that makes me happy where I'm like, oh, I can clean this whole thing up and I've got this. I'm really excited to hear. For sure. Number two, Pete. Lucinda Williams's Car Wheels on a Gravel Road album. Have you listened to this album? Nope. Okay. Lucinda Williams is a fabulous, fabulous alt-country type artist. Really, really good music. And this album, Car Wheels on a Gravel Road, is wonderful. And I can't stop listening to it. And it's not just that I don't stop listening to it. It's that I can't stop listening to it. I keep putting it on over and over and over and over and over again. Whole album or songs? The whole album. And... You're still on album replay? For this particular album, yes, the whole album. And I don't know if you've had this experience where you listen listen to an album for a while and you get into it and you're pumped about it and then you set it down and you pick it up several years later and you just can't stop listening to it. You ever have that experience? Not exactly. I do have the experience of finding a song that I haven't thought about in a long time and hearing it and then remembering why I liked it. You know what I mean? Like I have that feeling, but I don't know if I, I, I don't have anything where I listen to like a whole a album. A full like album. That. Well, if you're looking for something to catch you in that very specific and particular way, pick up Lucinda Williams' album, Car Wheels on a Gravel Road, which I've been listening to nonstop for the last like two to three weeks. Hey, just a real quick aside on that. Have you noticed that the world is now broken down into two categories, which seem to be hip hop and country <laughs> of various sorts? Yes, I have. have you, okay, so I'm not crazy, all right? This, this no. is one of my things that I've noticed, okay? So it's, you pick a side. And, and, and then bet, betwixt and between the two is Lil Nas X. <laughs> just, just stand still, in there, still just the hold them together. Still the only one to occupy that space. Yeah, the only one possibly crazy enough. One of God's own creatures, just doing it right in the middle. But like, so, so there is no more rock. Like whatever rock was got turned into like some kind of folk or some kind of EDM. But there's like, there's no band out there anymore that's like Nirvana or something that's doing it. It's like, no, no, no. It's like Taylor Swift is like country pop sort of and then mm-hmm. and then you have like Beyonce who is like the queen of hip hop pop sort of and and what i think it is 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 i think it's 
I, I'm not exactly sure. I think the obvious thing is is uh, is racial lines, obviously, which I think is a huge component of it. But the other piece, I think, is just, man, it is rural versus urban divide. So if mm-hmm. I go out to get a Christmas tree, I go out into further into the Olympic Peninsula than one normally does. And as in any small town, 25 miles outside of a large city, everything is the deep south all of a sudden. You know, the Trump signs show up and, and it's just country music. Let me just hit the pause button here because we have here a white sort of liberal elite who wants a Christmas tree. Yep. And so he's forced to go into a cultural de-evolution in order to find a Christmas tree. And he has to go deep into the Olympic Peninsula, into the like Appalachia of the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) Oh, it is nowhere near the Appalachia of the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) The Appalachia of the Pacific Northwest is South King County, and you and I both know it. (laughs) No way. It's Aberdeen. uh, It could be Aberdeen. That's, that's the, I, know. I don't know if that's, yeah, it is, it is, it is remote out there, but like you go into places like you go into a convenience store or a Starbucks or, or like not, a, not necessarily Starbucks. They always play their same shit. It's always just the same boring fucking jazz world music. But if you, you go in like it's, it is all country. It is everywhere you go country Yeah. on Bainbridge Island. Sometimes it's country. Sometimes it's hip hop. Yep. It depends on like how many kids are going to this. And it's like, man, it is like, these are your choices here in the year of our Lord 2023 at the end of it. I can't think of a popular person that is not one of those two in music. No, I think... Some grade of. I think you've adequately characterized the popular music zeitgeist. It's either hip-hop or it's country or some brand of EDM. Yeah, and EDM is... I think EDM is millennial smooth jazz. Like, I think, I think... I I buy that. I buy that. Like, you know when you listen to, like, your your boober parents, maybe, and they're listening to, like... They'll, like, put on, like, a smooth jazz because they're like, I just... I don't know. I'm cooking. I want a glass of white wine. I don't want to think about anything at all. I just want something I can ignore, right? They're just... This is total mm-hmm. backgrounding it. And that's what EDM is. My wife will it put is. it on while she's cooking, just have it on the back. She doesn't pay any attention to it. I'm like, you guys think this is some cool, edgy thing? You guys are just listening to Kenny G, man. You're just listening to Kenny G and it's it's Manity Commune. It's the same thing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did you say millennial smooth jazz? Because I think EDM is Gen Z smooth jazz. Oh, I don't know. I feel like it's millennial. Maybe it's Gen Z. I can't keep track of these youngins these days. What I am saying is EDM is inoffensive background music the same way smooth jazz was. And you guys are as cool doing it. Well, you know what I can keep track of, Pete, is number three was Jigsaw Puzzles. Number two, Lucinda Williams, Carwell's on a gravel road. And number one. Mm hmm is orange juice. Oh. I went on a road trip down to Oregon and I drank a lot of orange juice. And Oregon is orange... famous for its orange juice. Well, let's not get carried away, but <laughs> orange juice is the perfect example of teamwork between man and his creator. <laughs> together, Pete, together we made something spectacular. God made the orange. He made a weird thing with a unique color that nothing rhymes with. And we took that thing, we pressed it, we put it in tiny bottles, and we made it available at gas stations. <laughs> yeah, we did. We commoditized it like nobody's business. And Pete, it's not fashionable among the cultural left to give any kind of daylight or credence to companies of any kind. But if you're listening, the Minute Maid Corporation, <laughs> I salute you <laughs> because you have created a fine fine product that has captured my imagination more than Lucinda Williams, more than Jigsaw Puzzles. You are number one this week. How much, uh, what's the pulp content of your orange juice? Are you going heavy pulp content or no pulp content? 
in a perfect world, I go heavy pulp, but I'm not really, I don't really care that much. If I go There's to the like gas station. There's like people who won't take any pulp, you know? Yeah. Pulp is, I, I really like pulp, but if it's medium pulp, it's a, if it's heavy pulp, if it's no pulp, I don't really care. I just want the sweet, sweet juice of the uh, California or Florida orange. <laughs> is this uh, new? Do you, did you, do you think maybe your body's trying to tell you something? You've got like a vitamin D deficiency or? It's possible that during during this particular road trip where orange juice captured my imagination so <laughs> dramatically that I was experiencing some sort of deficiency. I have had periods of my life where I drank a lot of orange juice. It's been a long time, but it's like it's like one of those things that you don't think about very often. When you try it, it is kind of sweet nectar of the gods. You can kind of just go down drinking a lot of orange juice. Like I went to Costco one time and bought like one of the big giant Tropicana orange juice and had it in the fridge. And it was like every time I came in from being outside, it was the perfect refreshing cold drink felt like a hummingbird yeah god put it down here for our own good deliverance to show us what was possible in heaven Pete, here's something i'd like to talk about that i heard the other day from a friend of mine who is a horse person have you ever been or been connected to people who love horses Yes. Tell me about it. I love horses. Do you really? Yeah. Yeah. You ever been on a horse? Yeah, it's fun. It's amazing. Speaking of perfect connection between man and its creator. Which we were. Getting on a horse is like just doing something that human beings have been doing with care and empathy with horses for thousands of years. It's amazing. I feel an ancient connection. I love horses. You love horses. I, I don't know if I love horses. Like, I don't want to keep horses. Well, you don't own a horse. I'm not, let's, let's, let's just- I don't own a horse. Let's level with our audience. You do not own a horse. No, never have. Wouldn't even dream of owning a horse. And neither does your wife. No, although I think she might like to own a horse. Really? But we're not going to own a horse. You guys live... All- we're not horsey. We're not the horsey set. But you also live very close to a lot of horse trails, don't you? I live in a horse trail community. Yeah. My neighbors have horses. Yeah, so you- I have two neighbors who have horses. They're from Texas. Now, I don't have any horses. And you have a gigantic backyard that could be essentially like a horse pasture, right? I think so. And yet... Possibly. You do not own horses. Okay. No. Uh. Uh-uh. And I'm not going to. So, are you really a horse person? Well, no. I guess not. I admire and appreciate horses. And... Objection, Your Honor. He's going beyond the scope of the question. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess I'm not a horse person. What's your example of a horse person? How deep into horses are they? So, what I've are got. About? I've got a friend. She lives down in Oregon, and she is a horse person. She's always been a horse person, and she owns a horse. And this horse has been alive for, I don't know, 18 years, perhaps, a long time. And horses, for context, live to be about maybe 20 to 30 years old. I think you can find horses that live a little longer than that, but 20 to 30 years old is the standard age for horses. So I was talking to my friend who's a very serious horse person, and I thought, started thinking, like, when does when is your horse going to die and what's that going to look like? I started grilling her a little bit on, like... Yeah, how you doing? You like that thing out there? You got pretty attached to it. You know it's going to go soon, right? It's going to go soon and she was like yeah yeah it's gonna go soon and i thought what do you do with that horse once it's dead right so you've got a like a thousand pound animal and what do you do with that thousand pounds of flesh like it's not okay in our culture and in our society to eat the horse that's not happening so what do you do with the horse and she said well if you're lucky you get a burial plot 
within like the horse's pasture they've gotten certain grounds set aside where you can bury your horse in the pasture that it like it spent all its time and all its life in so you can that does sound nice doesn't that sound nice it's kind of what i want yeah so you bury your horse you know nearby if you're lucky but that's not guaranteed so what happens if you don't get that burial plot for your horse what do you do with the horse what do you think what would you do with the horse that was dead i'd call the people and it's going to get rendered what people are you calling I don't know, some sort of farm services place. Nope. Uh, Guess again, Pete. Veterinarian. I'm calling a veterinarian to get a uh, a referral to somebody, and they're going to send me to... Nope. Horse Meat Man. Nope. <laughs> the Glue Factory. So I've always been deeply obsessed, and this is why I pressed so much with my friend. I've always been deeply obsessed with the idea that horses become glue after they die. I think that's really funny. I think it's really cool that like horses somehow turn into glue. That is also not what happens to horses that don't get a burial plot after they die. You know what happens to them? They drop them out of a helicopter. Nope. <laughs> you, get a, you get a pickup truck, and you take your horse, your 1,000-pound horse, and you chuck it in the back of your pickup truck, and you take it to the dump. No. Yes. And you take your— You can't throw a horse in the dump. You drive to the dump, and you've been to the dump— Okay. The dump is yeah. the dump is a fascinating place because you take. Is it dump or transfer station? They're, it's the same. <laughs> is it thing. like do you it's have to go to the thing. main dump? Dump. No, it's the okay, same. Any thing. dump. It's the same thing. You go to, you go to the to the um, usually when you go to the dump you've got a bunch of crap in the back of your car and there's this giant like pile of trash. This is something you only learn as an adult. As a kid, you have no exposure to this. You go to like the dump. And you've got all this trash and you just take it and you just chuck it on the big pile of trash and you say, well, now my trash is part of that giant pile of trash. And if you happen to, yeah. if you happen to have a horse that's dead and that weighs a thousand pounds, you chuck it in your pickup truck, you take it to the dump, just like everybody else with their old cabinets and, and chests of drawers. It's a lot of old Ikea furniture. Old Ikea that's like furniture. That's coming apart. And their yard waste and everything. And you yeah. pull up there with a horse in the back of your pickup truck and you chuck that horse onto the pile just with all the other trash and you pay your $45 and you drive away. Nope. Nope, there's no way. No, that that there is no way they let you do that. I'm sorry, Pete, but that is exactly what happens. What else are you gonna do with a horse? I will bet a thousand dollars that you cannot take a dead horse in a pickup truck to any dump in the Puget Sound area. I will take that. I, I don't know if Oregon has some place where it's like, you know, when I go to the dump, there's usually a place where I could deposit my battery and there's another place for electronics. You know, you take your like flat screen from 2005 and you go take that down and put it into like the electronics thing. Like wherever she lives in Oregon, in her orange juice grove, there is a giant dump and part of that dump just says like dead horse pile, like dead cow pile, goat pile. There's like a lot of animals. Pete, I'm not going to take a thousand dollars from you, but I will take, a, <laughs> I, I will take a hundred. A hundred dollars that you think I can pull up. I can put a dead horse. Yep. I don't think they'll let me throw a dead dog at the dump. They will. I don't think they'll let me throw a dead cat at the dump. When we had, we used to have chickens. We used to keep chickens just for shits and giggles and for the eggs and stuff. And we would throw those, we just, when they died, because they died all the time. And we'd just chuck them in a garbage can and I would chuck them in a garbage bag and throw them in our garbage can. <laughs> okay, dude. <laughs> I get that. I get you that. You get that. I, uh, I, I know. Okay, listen, listen. What else are you going to do I with Pete? A, what uh, else are you going to do with a okay, horse? Okay, no, no, hold on. What hold are you going to do? I agree with what you're saying. I agree with what you're saying. I found a dead rabbit, you know, and I double bagged it. Double bagged And it. put it in my garbage, right? That's what you can do. I found a dead crow once. I put on a mask and went outside and tried to hide from the other crows. And I double bagged it and put it in my garbage. But if you pull up to the dump, 
and you pull up and they say, what do you got in there? And you just say dead horse. You just say, I got a thousand pounds of dead. First of all, $45 is ridiculous. They weigh by the pound. You pull up, you know, when you pull up to the thing, there's like a scale there. No, you're so right. So you're going to get on that. They're going to they're gonna be like, dude, you got a thousand pounds of something. What is it? You're going to say horse body. <laughs> just, I'm going to dump, I'm going to dump a whole ass horse in here. And they're going to say, oh my God. Okay. Well, here's the standard garbage price. There's, there's just no way. You know, Pete, I, I, I swear to God. Pete, I'll give you there that. There's a special animal dump. They're going to ask. No. Every time I've been to the dump, they say, what do you have? And I say, I've got a TV. I've got two Ikea nightstands. <laughs> I have, I don't know Let's how much. Let's make it three, Pete, because like, three, you're never going to have, you're going to have three to five Ikea nightstands at any given dump. I've got three Ikea nightstands, and I think this was a shoe rack that was supposed to go in the bottom of my closet. So now you can have it. It's just a bunch of balsa wood sticks with some Allen wrench, you know, like star bits in it and then and a, and a and a dead horse a whole ass dead horse a thousand pounds of this is snoopy back here he's a quarter horse he's an american paint and i'm gonna dump it right here into the back there's no way we'll do a hundred well i think you i put a hundred you put a hundred on it you put a hundred i'll put a hundred okay okay what are the qualifications a hundred dollars says that you can dump a dead horse at the dump okay is this a special dump or is it any dump county dump city dump let's say the south transfer station in king county because okay, so on bainbridge where you live 100 guarantee you can dump a horse there <laughs> you want to go bainbridge i'll give you 200 i absolutely okay i will bet you i will bet you okay a hundred dollars on whether or not i could pull up in a pickup truck in bainbridge and we'll call him and ask him yeah. And just say, hey, if I show up with a pickup truck with a dead horse in it, horse about 800, 850 it's pounds. It's a heavy-ass horse, yeah. Can I, can, I, can I just pull up? And they say, yep, you want to be in uh, lane number two? Thank you very much. In Bain- we're no we're going with Bainbridge? Yeah, no way. 100 bucks. I'll, I'll, go, I'll, go with, I'll go with the South Transfer Station. That's King County. I'll, t- I'll, I'll, I'll take one. Bainbridge over South. Well, Bainbridge is a little... I mean, maybe we do both. And if there's a tie, we go with another one. No one's going to let you do it. 100 bucks. <laughs> You're on hundred bucks. There's no way. Let's go horse dump. Who can? Who can? How to dispose of your dead body? <laughs> I think there's a rendering plant. This is what happens to horses, dude. No one's rendering horses. Yaha, yaha. And putting them in like sausage? No, no, no. They rend them down. They render them down for all different kinds of byproduct use. They use them as everything from like weird epoxies to glue to you just you just boil stuff down and move it around. You use leathers for things. I mean, nothing goes without waste. Every once in a while, this used to happen in the news. It is my favorite kind of news story. In my, in our neck of the woods, it always happens on I-90 and uh, there'll be a rendering truck, be a giant, yeah. like a gravel truck. It's huge. Its load or and it's full of just animal <laughs> parts. And what no. they're doing is they're shipping them from central Washington where there are ranches and there's all this kind of stuff and there's dead cows and, and all kinds of manner of animals, farm, you know, horses, whatever is going to, whatever's going to die. And they load them up in these trucks and they take them out and they render them, they like chop them up and they render them into stuff. And every once in a while they like jackknife and spill across the highway and it's, it's like awful. ice. It's so bad. You can't it's drive so it. Bad. It's so dangerous, right? Yeah. And it's a huge biomedical hazard. And it makes everything smell for like the next six years. It is, it is intense. But that's where horses go. You cannot drop them in the dump. So 
Did you see that gentleman who leaped over? Holy crap, yeah. Oh, oh my God. God. So this like, is a guy. Look like a court. Cam. A, yeah. It looked like Cam Newton, didn't it? <laughs> Cam Chancellor, as I was thinking, jumping over the line Either to one. block a field. But that dude so, flew. So this is a guy in Nevada who was denied probation, and he takes this flying leap over the lectern, over the- Yeah, over the bench, right? Like over like where the judge's bench is. Over that imaginary line that separates the judge from the riffraff. Right. And he just leaps over it. And and he got her. And the judge. He he not only leaped over it, he leaped over it head first and tackled her. Yeah. So how does she, she's going to become more risk averse as a result of that. No question about that. <laughs> oh my, God, my God. Yeah. I can imagine. Although, you know, you know, what was really cool was um, the bailiffs and like the security guards there. They were on it. I mean, I, I don't know how I'd react to a situation. Something just so wholly unexpected happens. Like, like you can imagine in court being like, wow, that was kind of a scary outburst. Like that dude took a running start, oh dove. Like Bruce Willis and Die Hard over the thing, tackled the judge. Like I might just be mouth agape watching this. And the, there's like a sheriff's deputy and another bailiff. They're just instantly on this guy. It's, it was pretty crazy. They almost got him in midair. Well, there's the one guy who's kind of the centerpiece who probably occupies the most airtime in this video and who starts just punching the guy. Yeah. He just starts wailing on him. And it's kind of like, oh, I don't know. Do you really need to punch the guy? Or Dude, you did you see what that guy just really... did? I mean, General Zong just jumped oh, over fair. onto the judge. It is one of the most athletic things I've ever seen. I hate to say it and laugh about it, but it's unbelievable. It looks like a cartoon. It looks like a stuntman. The athleticism on display in that video is incredible. Like, how so, pissed do you have to be to be that <laughs> risk averse? That guy was the opposite of risk averse. He was like, I'm having a bad oh day. God. I don't like what the judge says. Fuck it. I am going to just <laughs> go for it. I'm going to jump. I'm going to go over the lectern. And I'm going to just, what, what was the end game of that? What, what happens once you catch the judge? What There's you- no way this inures to his benefit. He, he tackles the judge. He's going to do an extra 20 years. Forget oh, for sure. For a judge? <laughs> Whatever you had, your life is now over, man. I mean, it was... Yeah, yeah dude. Man, he lost it. Pete, a little something more before we get to the fuckums. Tell me. So you know, but our listeners don't know, how much I don't care about China. Yes, I do know. The China storyline to me is the rise of China is so uninteresting. I couldn't care less. What I want is something I can sink my teeth into, like the Ukraine-Russia conflict, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. you've got good got guys. action. Got, right. You've got bad guys. You've got Prigozhin marching on a Moscow, just like and then getting murdered. Drones, <laughs> Dude, uh, just crazy, and getting murdered. Just interesting stuff, right? And a but, plane crash, sabotage plane crash. Come on, it's great. Right. Russia's great for this. Absolutely, but the great story of our time, the rise of China, I couldn't care less about. I just don't care. But there was a story that I read recently, Pete, about China that I found really interesting. You know what Chinese people? in China are doing? I don't know. They're going to the beach. Were they not before? They were not before. And the reason for that is because the beach previously in Chinese culture was this sort of like a military buffer, like a DMZ, where they would just set aside like 15 kilometers or whatever near the beach. And they'd just be like, this is what keeps the heathen invaders out. 
And so nobody went to the beach. And also they didn't necessarily have the money to leave their village and go to the shoreline or whatever. And so going to the beach has never been a thing in China. But now, yeah, now the Chinese people, as affluence increases, they're going to the beach. But the Chinese people don't really know what to do at the beach. I don't know what to do at the beach. Well, I know what to do at the beach. Chinese people can't. Chinese people can't necessarily swim. What? That is a Chinese people can't swim. (laughs) Some of them can, but as a nation, they're not swimmers. As a nation, they're not strong swimmers. No, no, no. How do you quantify that? This is like just like like, that's crazy. Tell me, how are they not strong? I want to know. This is what I read in an article, Pete. The article said Chinese people, as a rule. Don't really know how to swim. I don't know if it's true or not. That's just what I read. So what do they do? What are they doing at the beach? They're bringing their cats to the beach. Awesome. They're wearing like 1930s style swimming costumes. I love it. Are they going old, like full, like body stocking things to go swimming? They haven't heard of the two piece. They don't want to get tans. Okay. Because being pale is still a mark of class distinction. Oh, yeah. Like you're part of the leisure class. You, you know what you need in China? Beach house. What? China needs beach houses. You need to go somewhere where you can sit in the shade near the beach. Like in, like in Vegas? Where you pay like $400 to sit in like a cabana and not get the sun on your body? Yeah, but like on the beach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what they're doing there is they're just taking like pictures of themselves at the beach. They're like, hey, I'm at the beach. Here's my picture. And so they'll spend like three to five hours just taking the perfect picture of themselves at the beach. Man. That's intense. It is intense, but... They're beaching wrong. Oh, they're beaching absolutely wrong. But you know what the crazy thing is? (laughs) Everyone who enters the beach or leaves the beach in China has their picture taken by the government. No. Yes. Why? Why? Do they want to see the change in beach? I don't know why. The government's just taking pictures. That scares the crap out of me. Why do they want to take a picture of you going to the beach and coming back from the beach? Are they worried you're not going to come back from the beach? Are they worried you're going to come back from the beach a different person? (laughs) You've been transformed at the beach somehow? Why do you need a picture before and after the beach? I have no... Is that just a control thing? I think that's it. I think it's a control thing. I have no idea. I see why they're not wearing the two-piece. I don't need she looking at all my beach pics. he's He's taking a picture of everyone who enters the beach and leaves the beach. Can you believe that? I can't. It's wild. How many people is this? China's huge. What are we talking about? How many pictures are we talking about being taken A here? lot of pictures. Billions. And we're t- but only the people who have reached the level of affluence where they can visit the beach. Oh, so I see. So the beach is very exclusive still. So you're looking at the glitterati. So that's why you're taking pictures of them. You're trying to find out who's got money, who can afford this, who mm-hmm. can't. Interesting. And I don't know what. Just a beach. I, to go to the beach and take pictures. I have no idea what. The, I don't know. Are China beaches nice? I, it is funny you say that. I've never thought about Chinese beaches. Now, I've heard amazing things about the beaches of Southeast Asia and certainly Japan and other places. There's great beaches. I imagine China's got great beaches, but you never see, like, come to China, the no, beach. No, that's you know, because their that. beaches are these, like, demilitarized zones. That is so strange. Yeah. I can't imagine why you would demilitarize your waterfront. Like, that's like the best thing. Like, it's just so, uh, that that's an interesting storyline just of Western thinking. Like, if it's like, okay, 
this is where the invaders are. We're going to block this off. It's expensive. We don't know what to do with it. This is our moat and our wall. Where yep. we're like, have you seen Malibu? We're going to take this to the most extreme. Like, we'll live under the water near it. We'll have all this different stuff. We'll sail over it. We'll, we'll get mad at the government if they come too close to it. We'll, you know, like the, the beach is like... Like the Westerners, like like just calling. Like the beach is the pinnacle. Oh, it is the pinnacle of what you do. And Malibu is the pinnacle of beach culture. Do you think so? I've actually never spent any time in Malibu. I've been to L.A. a lot, and I've never been to Malibu. I love Malibu. Really? It's that cool. It is so cool. It's the perfect place to surf. And I'm not. I'm not a good surfer, but yeah. I could go to Malibu and I could spend like three weeks just surfing Malibu. Because it's so really? awesome. It's so cool. It's phenomenal. And the houses in Malibu, they're right on the water. Yeah, it's like Tom Cruise's house and stuff. Oh, it's so nice. Malibu yeah. is phenomenal. I would move to Malibu if I had a lot of money. I would move to Yeah, for sure. Beat. Right? Mm-hmm. Malibu is like, Malibu is what you offer the people who want to turn in Putin or something. You go to them, you go to some general and you say, hey, Alexei. You kill Putin, we'll put you up in Malibu. Look at it. It's nice. Come on. <laughs> that, that's He's like, you... what, is, what is Malibu? And you're like. Right. And you show him. We got, we'll take you to Malibu. We'll take you. We'll sit on a little walk. We'll get you a small dog. Yep. You put him on a surfboard. You're going you're gonna to be so fucking hot down here at Malibu walking around. You're going to love it. It's going to be amazing. That's how, that's, how, that's how the West can win. We just keep saying, how would you like a nice little place uh, on the coast? Would you like some of this? Malibu's the place. Malibu's where you go for your real high rollers to, to relocate them. It's that time again, Pete. It's time for fuck them. Fuck them. I have a fuck them. I have been in and out of a lot of doctor's offices this past week because I was hurt and I had a sick kid. Here's the thing. Here's who I want. It's not doctors exactly. It's maybe doctor staffs. Fuck them. You walk into a doctor's office, the very first thing they ask you, they don't say hello. They don't say how are you. They don't say are you hurt. They don't say anything. They say, do you have your insurance? That's the very first question. (laughs) I walked in with a bleeding open hand with six paper towels on it, weak at the knees. Where's your insurance? I go into my doctor to go to sale children's check on the, where's your, what's your insurance? Do you have your insurance card? Then they ask you your birthday because your entire, whatever file is unlocked by your birthday. The very first thing they ask you is what's your insurance. Okay. That's fine. I understand it. Healthcare in America is a nightmare. Yada, 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 yada. I get it. I get it. Here's the, here's what I don't understand. They are making this first and foremost, a financial transaction. Yeah. So therefore I expect some level of service from this, right? And they Mm. do not think that you deserve any level of service in any kind of large medical community. Now, I'm not saying your doctor's office doesn't or your dentist doesn't. Of course they do. These are your friends and your neighbors, people that you know. You have to go into a medical building. That person doesn't care about you except for your insurance card, who you are is your birthday, and then they'll just ignore you. So you sit down and you wait. I was sitting there waiting for like 20 minutes. This was for an appointment I had. And I said, are you guys behind today? And the woman just looked so shocked at me. Like what? She was like, "Oh, I I don't know." There. You dare to peer behind? Yeah, the you ju- I just asked. Like I I said happening? I said, "Well, it's it's been 20 minutes." 
And and she's like, well, I'm sorry. Uh, we'll, we'll check or whatever. She just looked completely confused. And that's fine because you know what you are? A receptionist, the doctor. And doctors are supposed to be whatever. They're gods back there, so we have to listen to them. But here's the thing. Mm. The minute you say it's insurance first, now it's a customer service issue. It is no longer me going to see a doctor and taking a number. The very first thing mm. you want to know from me is my credit check and whether I can pay for it, fine. But then I want good service. And I will never wait at a doctor's office more than 15 minutes now. If it gets to be 15 minutes and be like, looks like you guys didn't have time for me today, please call me back to reschedule and, and just leave. Because you know what? They can't do anything about it. And the thing is, this idea that, that somehow you're in this system is crazy. The very first thing you want to know about me, about my sick kid, is whether or not I can afford it before I go into your system. Then you need to show me a much higher degree of courtesy. And that is about my time and everything else. If you're, if you're going to play that game, if it's going to be money only, not me going to see my family doctor who's behind because one of my mm-hmm. neighbor's kids has an mm-hmm. ear infection. So screw you. Fuck them. Pete, I'd like to say fuck them. Then do it. To toothbrushes. <laughs> really? That don't hold their shape. I'm fairly aggressive about oral hygiene. I brush my teeth a lot. I floss a lot. I go in with a toothpick and get the, you know, whatever off the the gums or whatever. I do a lot of stuff, right? But when I get a toothbrush and I use that toothbrush 10 to 20 times and then it starts to fray, it starts to like, you know what I'm talking about? It just like, it like, it like flares out. Yeah, it flares out. It gets it's real puffy. wide. Yeah, and it's like I haven't been using it for all that long. It shouldn't be doing this already. If there was a warranty on toothbrushes, I would be able to go into the dealership and say, "Give me a new fucking toothbrush," yeah. because it shouldn't have frayed already. But it doesn't. And what happens is I brush ten to twenty times, and the fucking toothbrush loses its shape, and I'm hosed. You're brushing too hard, buddy. You're pushing too hard on your toothbrush. Pete, I'm brushing real hard. But you know what, Dennis wants <laughs> real hard brushers. Yeah, hard brushers. <laughs> No. So if you're a toothbrush executive, if you work for Colgate or one of these corporations who's making toothbrushes and you're cutting corners and you're thinking, should I put the soft one or the hard one in? Oh, it looks like we can save a buck by putting the soft one in that, that phrase. Fuck you. <laughs> Show some pride in your work. Give me a quality American toothbrush, Colgate, Oral-B. Show some pride in your goddamn work. Sonicare. And now it's time to close out the show with a cheers. Cheers. I'm going to do a couple cheers. I got a cheers. I'd like to raise a glass to a few different things that are going on in America. The first of which is jump to recipe. Oh, yeah. Good. Good call. I'd like to raise a glass and cheers to jump to recipe. Exactly. Because you search for, I mean, I want to make al pastor. I want to make pulled pork. I want to make Cuban pork, whatever. There's some recipe that I want to make. And I go and I Google for best recipe for blank. And I Google it and I click it and it pops up and it's like, uh, okay, we got the best recipe. It's five stars, 375 reviews. This is going to be the best shit for you. This is exactly what you want. And then they're like, you click on the recipe and they're like, okay. So my grandmother in 1937 created this recipe and she stuffed it in her boot as she raced from the Nazis. This is why you're going to love it. (laughs) Let me tell you six generations of my family story. That's right. And they go on and on and on for pages and pages about the best way to like wash your rice and like all the shit. But you can avoid all of it 
by clicking on the jump to recipe at the top of the page. And you can immediately take you to, here are the ingredients, here's what you need, and here are the steps that you take to get there. So It's a huge win. I totally agree. I would like to raise a glass of my pineapple passion fruit imperial excelsior cider to the jump to recipe function. Here, here. You know what else I'd like to raise a glass to? What's that? Dog sweaters. <laughs> All right. Tell me why. Why do they deserve a cheers? You ever put a sweater on your dog? Nope. You should try it. Never. I never will. I can't imagine. I have big dogs. I can't imagine what it would be like to put a sweater on either of my dogs. So your dogs are medium. You have the same dog as I have. Yeah. Medium dog. You put sweaters on your dog? We put sweaters on our dog around the holidays, around Christmas time. <laughs> I just love the second that it... At the holidays, I put a sweater on my dog, yes. She gets... Of course. She like us- everybody else. She usually gets a holiday sweater for uh, Christmas or New Year's, St. Nicholas Day, whatever. She gets, a, she gets a sweater. We pop it on her. And you know what? She gets warm. When we put the sweater on her, she is warmer. So she's feeling pretty yeah. good. And the yeah. dog looks... So stylish. It's like this anthropomorphizing, like, sort of wet dream where you put the sweater on your dog and they look like an accountant. And they look so cute and so adorable. And it works for them. My dog doesn't complain about it at all. She would let us know if she didn't like her dog sweater. But she doesn't. She's like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of warmer. I'm feeling good. Like when I have to sleep downstairs at night in the crate. This is a win, 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 win. Like I'm putting You gotta imagine this from the point of view of the dog who just keeps getting surprised by how humanity is taking care of them. Like <laughs> I can stay here inside. I don't have to die out. Okay. Oh, you're gonna put that down for me right there where I can eat it every day and there's water. You're gonna give me a sweater. <laughs> like what what is this? Like I just keep getting human things. Like pretty soon, like there's a show for me? Is this my <laughs> is this my car? Like what am I gonna do? I love it. We're just like humanity just keeps looking at dogs and being like, Man, those things are cool. What can I do for them? That's right. I gotta do something help these things out and i believe it humans don't deserve dogs they really don't and i was so that's why i would like to say hell yes and to raise a glass and cheers to dog sweaters here 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 Hey, thanks for listening to the Middle Brown Multiverse. If you'd like to join our army of subscribers, you can do so at patreon.com slash multiverse. There's a free option or a paid option that gives you access to bonus episodes that you might enjoy.